There we go. Now we're all set. Well, good morning. Good morning. That's not bad. That's not bad. Not bad. Thank you. That's just so good. So I'm excited. You guys are here this morning. I'm excited about, um, man, I'm always excited on Sunday mornings. You know, I, I say that a lot, but I, I really am. I just don't understand. You don't go to church and not expect something and stuff. That uh, we show up to church, God's here waiting for us, and every week my heart is blessed by, by you guys, by what God is saying to me and, and what he's doing in life. And so, so I am excited this morning. Over the last few weeks, we've been doing this series called um, Outlasters. And the whole idea is how do we outlast our lives? Um, how do we leave something behind more than just just debt or <coughs> or issues or anything like that, but we actually pass on like our values and we pass on our faith and we pass on things that really, really, really matter. Because I think in the end, we want to know that our lives mean something, that we actually made a mark, that we actually, there is something more than just like he was a good guy and, 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 uh, and that, um, or he was a good, she was a nice lady and everything, but we leave something and we pass it on through our kids, we pass it on to the next generation. And so this morning, I want to kind of wrap up all of that, where we've been going. Um, oh, I forgot my little clicker, didn't I? Yeah. But here we go. We can do this. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, something deep in the human heart breaks at the thought of life. Thank you, thank you, sir. Breaks at the thought of life of mediocrity. Let me read that again. Something deep in the human heart breaks at the thought of a life of mediocrity. I, I, I just believe all that all of us have this desire and, and, and this passion, hopefully, to, to be more, to, to live more, not just mediocrity. In fact, mediocrity comes from a French word, which means halfway. And so, really, all, all it means is that it was, it was this idea that they would climb a mountain in France, and about halfway up, there was this lodge that people would rest and stay and everything. And it was interesting, over half the people would stay at the lodge and never finish the climb up to the top of the mountain. And, and so, really, that's all mediocrity is, is us kind of going halfway in our life and then stopping there and settling. And, and I believe we're made for so much more, and, and I believe that um, God wants so much more for us and that we want more. That we want to know that we left something behind, that we, we have lived our lives to the very fullest that it can be. And, and so that's this whole idea about being an outlaster. And so this morning, I want to talk about intentional living and giving. About being intentional. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to be sitting there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some available for you. If you don't own a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll give you one. Put your name in it. It's our gift to you. If you like to use electronics, you can sign into our um, Wi-Fi. It says GBC Guest. Just type in Find More, all lower caps, um, and, and you can log in there. But um, you won't have that. But as I always say, and as I truly, truly believe, that the only words that really matter this morning are these words. They're, they're the most important words that will be said. They're, they're the only words that actually change hearts and change the direction of someone's life. And so out of respect of that and acknowledgement of the authority of these words, I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me. As we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you so much for allowing us to gather here this morning. God, as a community. Father, you, you don't need any of this. God, you, you don't need us to sing songs. You definitely don't need me to preach. But God, in the midst of that, you invite us, God, to come into your presence, to be changed, to be challenged, to be encouraged. And so, God, that's what we pray this morning, Father, that you would just move. God, that it would be your words and not my words. God, hide me. God, may you the only one, may, may you be the only one that gets credit this morning. God, will you just move? Meet us where we're at, Father, and change us. And God, we give you all the glory and all the praise. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, it, it's, it's interesting to talk about intentional living and giving and stuff. And, and I know a lot of times you hear at church, intentional giving. Uh-oh. Let me, let me hold on to my wallet and stuff like that. But th- this, is a, this is a different type of thing. Because I believe as we started this series that we're not only supposed to live <coughs> a full life, a life covered by faith, uh, um, by the grace that's in our lives and everything, but we're also supposed to pass that on. And, and whether you have kids or you don't have kids, your kids are grown, you're not married or anything, that there's a whole generation coming up that we have to be passing on our values and our faith and passing that on to them because that's how we outlast ourselves. It's not about leaving a huge inheritance. It's not about leaving a bunch of money. But what it is about is leaving something that actually is going to impact their lives and every other life for eternity. And so that's what this is about. But we need to learn how to be intentional. We need to know, we need to learn how we are supposed to like focus on things because i think sometimes we live kind of random lives i think a lot of times we live random lives that we just kind of do stuff we do stuff because that's what we're supposed to do i go to church because it's a checkbook i'm supposed to go to church at least on easter and christmas you know i I read my bible i I read i had a little quick devotion i read a book i said a prayer before my meal and everything and we did and that's not intentional living Intentional living is when we actually put thought in, in what we're supposed to do and making sure that we're doing. And, and it's really interesting to me of what we're intentional about and, and, and what we're not intentional about. You, you just, just think about this. We're very intentional about planning a wedding and making sure all the details are set in and it's absolutely perfect. But are we intentional about the marriage? Are, are we intentional about, like, praying with one another, growing with another, loving one another, and serving one another. You know, we're, we're really intentional. When I remember when my first daughter was born, we were so intentional about, like, decorating the room. It was all Disney babies everywhere. And, and, like, and, and by the way, men, the greatest test of any marriage is hanging wallpaper with your wife. I just, I just want you to know. This is when, yes, dear, comes in great help right there it says yes dear it's not yes dear it's straight it looks but i mean we were so intentional about like decorating and making everything perfect for the baby so by the time my second one came emily came we're just like she can sleep with the dog it's fine they look comfortable. <laughs> you know it's so funny what we're intentional about and what we're not intentional about and the things it seems like we're intentional about the things that aren't that important 
and we're not intentional about the things that matter the most. I think this is one of the reasons that James, that James said this. In James 1.22, he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That, that so often we, we get in this idea, like, I just kind of go through the motions. It's, it's my pet peeve, and I, just, I still don't understand it, and I always talk about it. I don't understand people going to church not expecting to be changed. I, I, don't, expe- I, don't, I don't understand people just saying, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to hear a sermon, and I'm going to sing some songs really loud, raise my hands, and, and do all that stuff, and, and be so passionate about my faith here. But then when we walk out the door, there's no difference between us. That's not intentional living. We are commanded, we're told to be doers of what we live and what we know and what we hear from these great words and, and everything. So, so this morning, um, I, I, w- I want to talk about a couple of things. I want first, three things that set us apart, set us and those that are coming after us up for success, to be intentional livers and intentional givers. Um, I, I, I want to talk about just three simple things um, that will set us up at first, because I believe before we can ever pass something on, to the next generation, we need to be living it. Uh, there's so many people, you know, my dad's favorite saying, you know, do what I say, not as I do. <laughs> Until I was a teenager, and I was like, Dad, that doesn't make sense. You know, it, it, it's important that they do as we do and say, but we have to be doing it and saying it. But even before we get that, I, I want to talk about three things that we get or give sometimes that hurts. That there is a type of giving that we give that hurts us and hurts those that are coming before us. And so if you're, you're taking notes, when giving hurts, when it actually does more harm than it does good, the very first thing is um, we, we give praise when not deserved. Yeah, this is a, this is a big deal. This is, we're in the everybody gets a trophy culture. You know, if, if you don't believe this, watch American Idol. Okay, is it even still on? I mean, those people that get up and sing, somebody sometime in their life told them, says, you have the most beautiful voice, you should be a professional. (laughs) No, they should have been told a long time ago, please don't ever sing again. (laughs) Please, please don't do it. And, And so sometimes we get praise or we get praise when it's not deserved. You know, have you ever taken credit for something? I do it all the time. That's, that's, the, that's, that's the kind of the joke in our house. Whoever makes like a really good meal, I'm like, wow, I'm glad I thought of that. What? You didn't do anything. <laughs> and, and so sometimes we get, and that hurts them because it sets them up for the idea that, hey, I'm going to be perfect at everything. And by the way, life proves that wrong really quick. That, that's why there's so many kids. I remember the discussion with my daughter. I've got a college degree. I'm everything. I should be making like $80,000 a year. <laughs> I'm like, good luck with that. <laughs> Because somebody told you. And, and so we, we, we need to not do that. Um, we get or give things that are not earned. You know, sometimes we, we get things that we didn't really earn. And a lot of times with our kids and with this other generation, um, we, we, we don't. I just think about just the craziness of birthday parties now. I mean, when I was a kid, this was, this was my birthday. My mom says, what do you want for dinner? And what kind of cake you want? And so every year it was, I want barbecue ribs, broccoli, macaroni and cheese, baked beans, and chocolate, chocolate, chocolate cake. <laughs> that was my party. That was it. And I loved it. Now we go on Pinterest. <laughs> 
and we design entire like caverns and everything. Have you ever seen like those the uh, like on the I hate these shows, but the ones like my sweet sixteen birthday party where the guy's like, Oh, I spent like a quarter of a million dollars, but she's <laughs> worth it. I'm like, You're a moron. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Look how she's acting. I mean, my kids come in to, I we had one Christmas to come in like, uh, this isn't enough and I was like well, then it's nothing. Give me all those back. Oh, no, no, Dad, we're good. We're so thankful. <laughs> but so many times we, we give things that aren't earned. And, and the truth is it's been shown scientifically that when our kids or us, we work hard for something and we earn something, man, we take a little bit more pride in it. We, we take care of it more, you know? And, and then the, the last thing that when giving hurts is when we get or give freedoms not ready to be handled. Oh my gosh, I had a cell phone when I was like 30, and it was like this big, and you had to flip it and pull the antenna up <laughs> and everything. And I know that's only when they first came out, but I mean, we didn't like, everyone's like, you need a computer and everything. I, I heard people talking about like computers the other day saying, I remember my first computer course. My first computer was a Commodore 64 with a tape player. <laughs> That lasted like two weeks, and I was like, I don't understand any of this stuff. But we, we give stuff away. I mean, think about, think about our kids, the unlimited Internet that we allow them to have. Like, I'm, I'm not anti-social media. I think it's a great tool. I think it's a, but it's ridiculous how much our kids are, like, just locked into that. You know, I, I, I met a kid one time. He's like, I'm the most popular kid in the world. I have thousands and thousands of friends. I'm like, Really? That's amazing. Yeah, they're all Facebook friends. <laughs> I'm like, so you really don't know any of them. Half of them probably stalking you and asking you for money. <laughs> and, and so, so we, we give like these freedoms instead of earning. And sometimes we expect freedoms. Like I should be allowed to do this. I can do whatever I want. It, isn't, isn't that the mantra? Like I'm my own person. When I'm an adult, I can do whatever I want. I love when my daughter said that first time too. She says, I can, I'm 18 years old. I can do whatever I want. She says, yes, you can. You can pay rent. You can do this, you can do that, you can pay all your bills, and you can buy your own groceries. But daddy, you know, <laughs> so you want freedom, we, we earn it. And so this is areas that we got to watch what we give, especially with the next generation. Because cause the truth is, especially in our faith, there's no such thing as accidental righteousness in our faith. There, there's no such thing as just me waking up one day and just saying, I'm super holy now and I'm righteous. And I didn't do anything. This is awesome. It takes work to follow Jesus. And anybody that tells you that all you got to do is come down to the front of some church, say a prayer, and then your life is perfect after that, man, get the largest Bible you can and throw it at them because it's not true. Uh, our faith is countercultural. Our faith says it's not about me, but it's about everybody else. It, it's, it's about God's glory, not my glory. It's about his kingdom and not the kingdom that I can build. And so that doesn't happen by accident. If you want to grow in your faith, it's, it takes work, it takes discipline, and it takes intentionality. You, you have got to be that. So, so let's start looking at those. And how do we intentionally live and, and, and give? Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I, I want to read this to you again. And it may sound really familiar to you. Um, in fact, in the next two weeks, we're doing a series called um, Living Billboards. What does your life promote? And we're going to talk about these two statements. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandments? Um, this is actually called the Shema. 
This was, this was a greeting. This is how Jews would greet one another and everything to remind them all the time of this phrase and stuff. And, and so here again, starting in verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your own and when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You get this picture that this is so important. He's saying wherever every time you're moving and your mouth is open, you're talking about this. You're, you're writing it down. You're, you're being reminded of that. You have to be intentional about remembering this because if you know anything about Jewish history and the history of Israel is they forgot this pretty quickly many times. And it always ended up in ruins. So, so what are the three things that we can live a- and give? The very first one um, is a community worth having. A, a community worth having. I believe with all my heart that God's created us to be a people that live in community. And there's a reason why. Look at verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's this really interesting doctrine in the Bible. It's called the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, that word is not found anywhere in the Bible, yet all through the Bible we hear God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That God himself lives in perfect community with himself. That's why he doesn't need us. It's not like God was lonely and so he made us. God's never been lonely. He, he already lives in perfect community. But when the Israelites said this, it was really interesting because they were looking at it as a national faith. The, their faith was a national faith. It was a communal faith. It was all about all of us together. Hear, O Israel, everyone that's one of us, everyone that's part of God's family, everyone's part of this chosen people. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. We, we are all together. It is not an individual faith. And that causes a problem in our culture because independence is king in, in our world. It, it's all about, like, I can just do this on my own. I can just, I, I'm standing on my own. It's all about me. It's my personal, private faith. Nowhere in the Bible does it say the Christian faith is an independent faith. That it's just you. In fact, most of the Bible is written about us joining together and being part of a family of God. All the way through Scripture, God has chosen. I mean, think about this. God didn't choose a holy individual. He chose a holy people. Think about that for a moment. When God wanted to say, for the hope of the world, for people to know who I am, he chose a nation of people to come together. And then after, when Christ came, he chose the church, a body of people that would come together. And so we need to live out a community worth having. This is why I think coming to church is so important. And I just, I don't get it when people say, and they're sincere in their hearts, and they say, well, I, you know, I don't have to go to church. I am the church. It's just me. And so I can sit home and, and just do that. And that doesn't make any sense because that's not what my Bible says. That it's always about us coming together because when we come together, we have strength, we have comfort, we have encouragement, we're challenging. That's that whole Hebrews 10 verse. 
You know, let us consider how we stir one another up and, and push one another on and encourage one another. Don't forsake coming together like the pagans do, like those that are dumb do. Keep coming together because it is about having a community worth having. And we need to experience that. And we need to pass that on to our kids in the next generation. Because this generation is coming up is saying that there are books out there saying, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. I've read that book. It's a really good book, but it makes absolutely no sense to me because we're the bride of Christ and Christ is the head of the church. He's the shepherd. I'm just an under shepherd of the church. I work for him. And so if you don't like the church, you don't like Jesus. And, and so it's not about being independent. It's about having this community of faith, having a place where you can come. That's, I love the church. I love the idea that it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your culture, your bank account, any of that stuff that all of us come together. And it's, and it's just it's flat, even ground for all of us. Every person on this planet needs a savior. We have that all in common and we can come together and be united by Christ. I don't know any other organization on this planet where you can experience that. That's, that's amazing to me. And if you don't think it's a big deal, listen, it just in the New Testament alone, there's over 100 one another verses where it says, bear one another's burdens, love one another, encourage one another, help one another, serve one another. Over 100 times does the New Testament say, you need to do things one another. And so for us to be outlasters, for us to actually make an impact and leave a legacy beyond it, the very first thing is we need to have a community worth having. And by the way, that takes all of us. The health of the church, the prosperity of the church, the power of the church never, ever rests just on the pastor. Because if it does, y'all, we're in trouble. I am no important than anybody else in this congregation. It is all of our jobs to come together and says, how do we, that's why we put a survey in our bulletin and say, how can we do things better? What are we missing? What did we miss this week? What, what can we do? And, and we do that and we ask you, please fill it out. Let us know because it takes all of us, but it also takes all of us to make it worth a community worth having. Listen, I don't believe anybody comes to this church because they've heard me preach. Because no one's heard me preach before they come here. <laughs> I think, I think people come and they're greeted by you and they're loved on. And y'all, the hugger, I, I told people at the farmer's market, right? now I says, this, I hope you're a hugger because <laughs> this is the lovingest church I've, I've ever been a part of in 30 years. When we, we, we don't care. Come as you are and just, just be loved on. But that takes all of us to do that. It, it's not my job only because if it is, we're in trouble. This is why we believe so much. And so the very first thing, community worth having. Keep going. The next thing that we need to live and we need to give to the next generation is a standard worth achieving. We need to start raising the bar, y'all, for ourselves and for our kids. Look at verse 5. This is a pretty high bar. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. With everything you have, you are to love God. That is a standard worth achieving. That, that is a standard that, um, 
Man, it, it is a high bar. I, I think so often we have just kind of lowered the bar on our kids. And, and we just don't expect more. And we don't even expect more. We don't expect more from our churches. We don't expect more from anything. We just figure like, okay, well, that's, a, that's good enough. I, I can't, I don't understand that. Why, especially in church and in our faith, would we say that's good enough where everywhere else, man, if you order food, it better be perfect. Exactly how you order. If you go to some store, you expect a service. You go to you go to a theme park, it better, man, that you're king. You know, that that's Disney's saying, you know. The guest is always right, even when they're wrong. So why would we expect that standard everywhere else and and, and not in, in, in our faith? But by the way, you, you want to talk about a standard? In the Old Testament times in Israel, by the time a child was 12, they'd memorize the first five books of the Bible. You know, I said to parents, say, hey, memorize this verse. How about by the time you're 12, you memorize the first five books of the Bible? And that's everyone, every child. Don't, 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 don't tell me that you know, we, can't, we can't set the bar too high. Because I just, especially with our kids, the higher we set it, the more they'll achieve. And, and you'll notice here, it's, it's, not, it's not part heart. It's not just halfway when I feel like it. it, it it's whole heart. It, it's with everything that they have. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with everything you have. You love God. You place Him first. You make that the priority of your life. And you intentionally do things and live in such a way that it reflects that. And so in our lives and in our kids' lives, we need to raise the bar. We can't just settle for that. If the preaching is horrible, then please go get a new preacher. If, he's not teach if I'm not teaching the Bible and stuff, then I shouldn't be up here. Let's find a new preacher. If, if this isn't good, if that's not good, then let's, let's figure out how do we make it better? How do we keep raising the bar so that God gets more glory? Because by the way, Jesus did. Jesus raised the bar. Remember what he said? They asked him, he's talking, and it's the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, listen, you know, don't, don't, don't commit adultery. That's a good rule. And then Jesus says, and also, if you look on a woman and you lust after her, you've already done it. So don't even look or think about it because of what's in your heart. You know, should, should I forgive seven times, Peter asked Jesus? Jesus says, how about seven times 70? How about always continue to keep forgiving because that's what I'm doing for you? He always raised the bar. And so we need to do that. And that's where we get a faith that's worth achieving of just setting up there and saying, I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to settle for mediocre worship. I'm not going to settle for a mediocre faith. I'm not going to settle for any of that stuff. I'm going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing because my God wants more for me and he wants more from me. That's why we started this church. We, we've forgotten the more. John 10, 10 in the King James, it says, and you know, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. That, that's why we come in. That's living out of faith. And when we live that, our kids catch that. Listen, most about our faith, when we're trying to pass it on to someone, it's caught, not taught. They see it in you. And they start wanting to be like that. Our, our teenagers walk around, and they see people gathering at this church, and these people, that learn, they see the change in us as we're walking around a farmer's market or we're doing a block party or we're just praying and walking around our neighborhoods. They see that, and that says, oh, I'd like some of that. 
But it only happens when, man, we are intentional about living in a way that says, God, everything brings you glory. Because that's the point. That's the point. And then finally, a faith worth reproducing. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says this. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. It, it, it's all about this idea of a faith worth reproducing. See, I think there's so many people that look at the church and look at Christians and they don't see any difference in their life and they're asking themselves now, saying, well, why would I do that? Why, why would I follow this because I can do everything you're doing and not go to church? It, it confounds me because I think when God comes into our lives, when we make that step and we admit, like, yes, I need a Savior. I know I've done things my way, God. I want to do them your way for now on. Yours is the best way. Your way leads to freedom. That's what I want. I'm going to live that way. There should be a change. There should be a drastic change in, in the way we perceive things, in the way we look at things, in the way we talk, and what, what we do, all, all that stuff, and that it should be constantly on our mind. I mean, do we understand... You know, we sang that song, you know, uh, you know I'm going to, the simple gospel. How simple it is to know that Christ came, he died for us, he took upon our sin, and then he rose again, and he asked us to live this life. How amazing and overwhelming and just incredible that is. And, and yet I see so many church people and so many Christian people walking around like Eeyore. You should follow Jesus. It's a lot of fun. Come to church. We sing, we stand, we sit, we stand, we sit, we sing some songs. <laughs> this Sunday we're going to have grape juice and crackers. Ooh. And, I mean, you, you sit there and you're like, oh, I want that. Woo. I mean, the truth is, is man, we need, to, we need to live, breathe, and talk our faith. The more we live it, the more we talk about it, the more we breathe it, the more real it becomes to us, and the more we understand how great a Savior Christ is. I, I, love, I, I love the author of Amazing Grace. He had, a, he had a great statement. He says, there are two things I know. John Newton, he says, man, I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. And so we live that out, and, and, and we tell our kids about it, because our kids see it lived out in us. Our, our kids see the faith, and, and even when we're struggling, the joy and the peace, and our neighbors see that, and they're like, man, that's what I want. Because the truth is, if it's not real to you, it won't be real to who's next. If your faith is not real to you and lives it out in a real way, it's not going to be real to your kids or anybody else that's watching you. Man, this, this is a scary question. Does anyone ever say, I want to be like you? Think about that. D does anyone ever say, man, I want to be just like them. I want to be just like my dad. Or I want to be just like my mom. Or I want to be just like that person. Because, man, they, they face trials. And, and man, they're strong. They have a peace and a hope about them. I mean, listen, if, if, we if we want our kids to understand that doing finances God's way is the best way, then we need to handle our finances God's way. If you want kids to be generous then, and the next generation to be generous, then we have to be generous. 
If you want to see the next generation catch fire and go on missions and, and keep spreading the gospel, then you had better be doing it. If it's not real to you, it won't be real who's coming next. We have to be intentional about this. A faith worth reproducing, a faith that means everything to us will mean everything to all those who come and see it. That's what this is about. You want to outlast yourself? Outlast yourself that way. Listen, I'm not, I'm not anywhere near a perfect father. And my wife's not a perfect mother, even though I tell her that all the time. But I, I have two daughters. I, I have one daughter, my oldest, that if you, if you ever heard the stereotype of what a PK, a pastor's kid, or a missionary kid is, she lived to live that stereotype. I mean, there, there were moments when I just sat there and said, Lord, can, can, can I just take her and we'll start over? Um, <laughs> I mean, we'll adopt. It's okay. Let's just, just try. But, but I'm telling you, my daughters, every single day of their life, heard us say Jesus, not as a cuss word, but as a praise or a prayer. They, they saw us just step out in crazy circumstances and say, hey, we're going to do this because we feel God's leading us. We have no idea how we're going to survive or any of that stuff. We're just going to trust God. And they saw God's faithfulness. They saw a marriage that said from the get-go that divorce is never a word to ever be mentioned in our house. That if it gets that bad, we'll just kill each other. But we're going to live because God created this, brought us together. They saw that. And now I have, I have one daughter that works at a church in North Carolina that's thriving and speaking into kids' lives and, and calling us every day. It's amazing. She never called us when she lived here. Now every day she calls. <laughs> and just is so excited. I have another one that has decided that I'm going to work for YWAM and I want to get rid of human trafficking in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to marry a godly man and we're going we're gonna to serve God throughout this globe. That has nothing to do with us. That has everything to do with what God did in their lives. But we set a stage for them because we intentionally lived in a way that said, God, your kingdom, not ours. Your will, not ours. No matter where that took us. That's outlasting yourself. There are too many churches right now. It breaks my heart. I was in a meeting this week in the central Florida area, how many churches are on their deathbeds? They're getting ready to close their doors because they've stopped being intentional. They've stopped being intentional about sharing the gospel, about being generous, about missions, about all that stuff, about just loving people where they're at. And they're getting ready to close their doors. Tens, if not hundreds, of churches. When all it takes for us to say, listen... We're, we're going to have a community that's worth it. We're, we're going to have a faith worth reproducing. We're going to live this way and, and trust God for the outcome. I, I love this. John Maxwell, the great leadership guru, says this. He says, an unintentional life accepts everything and does nothing. An intentional life embraces only the things that will add to the mission of significance. I challenge you this week to look at your life and see those things that are just not significant and get rid of them 
You want to outlast yourself. You want to live beyond your years and pass that on and see a generation rise up and, and more people rise up just to, com- to finish the job of spreading God's kingdom so Jesus will return. Then be intentional about it. Be intentional with your own faith. Be intentional with the kids that are in your house. Be intentional with the kids that are in your neighborhood. Whatever's going on, just keep doing whatever adds to the mission. And the only mission that matters is my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Father. Because it's the only kingdom that's going to last. It's the only mission worth being involved in that actually makes an impact is when we give our lives totally and completely to that. When we do that, this church, us as individuals, will outlast ourselves and we will see faith grow in an area that so desperately needs it. I had so much fun handing out bags of candy and little bags to people at the farmer's market. And at the same time, my heart broke because I knew how many of them didn't know that they were lost and they were hopeless. We carry the hope, but we have to be intentional about it. We have to be intentional about it. This morning, um, we're going to respond to this. And and how we're going to respond to it is we're going to take communion together. And and for us at this church, we just believe if you know Jesus, this is an open table. The the only requirement I see in the Bible to take communion, to, to take the Lord's Supper, is to actually know who he is. And to be in a relationship with them. The Bible, Paul, Paul, <coughs> Paul tells us to go and um, to search our hearts and to make sure everything's right. But to take this, and, and there's nothing magical about this. There's, no, there's nothing magical about the cracker or the juice or, or any of that stuff. But what it does is it reminds us of a God who is very intentional. From the moment we fell and walked away from him. A God that looked down and says, I have a plan for this. He, he looked at the serpent in the garden and says, yeah, yeah, you got this one. But one day there will be a man that comes. There will be a child that is born that will come. And you'll bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. And from that moment on, God went on a mission to redeem all of us. And all this does is it reminds us. That's why Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what he's done for us. Remember that he sacrificed and gave himself. And it's a beautiful picture of it, but it's also, it's also a look forward. That one day Jesus says, one day we're going to have this meal again. And I'm going to be the one that's serving you. And it's gonna, everything's going to be fulfilled. And everything that's supposed to be redeemed is going to be redeemed. And everything's going to be restored. And so it's a promise that one day, all the craziness of this planet, all the heartbreak and, and, and disease and everything that's in this planet will go away. Because Christ was enough and is enough. And so this morning, I, I invite you to, to join us in remembering and looking forward. As we pray, God, make us a people that outlast ourselves. Make us a church that outlasts ourselves. Because we see your glory. We see your kingdom. And we want to see it grow here in Four Corners. So let's pray. God, we thank you this morning, once again, for allowing us to gather. God, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives and in our midst. God, we want to be outlasters. We want, we want to be a people 
that live far beyond just our lives. God, we believe you call us, that you offer us more, and you expect more from us. God, may we live that way. God, I thank you for a church, God, for a place to gather. I think there are so many places on this planet this morning that they're hiding, or they're not able to gather. And God, yet you put us in a place where we have the freedom to come together to openly worship, God. And so we thank you for this community. God, may we guard it. May it be the community that you created be, God. God, may we have a faith that shines throughout, God, that people see and that people want. So God, during this time, as we just, we pause and we remember God, we also look forward to the day when all of this will be done, where there will only be one church, one pastor, and we'll all be together. God, but until that day, God, help us to remember. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask David if you'll